0: that we would give our lives to serve and honor and glorify you. We pray for uh, Mike now as he comes and uh, gives your word to us. We pray that your spirit would open eyes and ears, hearts and minds, that you would uh, guard us from distraction and from error. Uh, Lord, that we would know you in truth as the Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Better. It's great to see everybody this morning. I'm glad you're here. What a neat passage that we get to go over today. Entitled the, the message is Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God. Today we answer arguably the single most important question that has ever been asked. Who do people say that I am, Jesus says. Who is Jesus? If you cannot cannot answer this question with faith in the answer, then you're in a very dangerous place. If you do not know him as the Lord and Savior, the Christ, I call on you to repent and believe in him today. He is worthy of all of our worship and praise and honor. We are walking our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've kind of turned the corner. We're already, in a sense, headed towards the cross. Jesus has been presented to his people. The Jewish people have, in turn, as a whole, rejected him. Many of them want a Christ that they've made, a Christ that will do what they want, a Christ that will give them food a Christ that will maybe heal them of uh, their physical ailments, a Christ that will deliver them from the tyranny of Rome, but they don't want a Christ that will call on them to turn from their sins and trust in Him alone. We saw last week in our build-up to this passage that Arguably, could be one. Uh, it arguably, could be called one of the pinnacles of the whole Gospel of Matthew. We, we come to the glorious revelation of who Christ is. We saw last week that there were two examples of people fixated on the world that couldn't discern the truth. They couldn't really get it. Uh, some got it better than others. The first group did, were completely spiritually blind. That is the spiritually blind religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees that were completely clueless. They did not understand who Christ was and they just wanted to trap him and get rid of, them, of him so that they could keep their power and their influence on the people. And then there were the fleshly minded disciples that when Jesus warned them of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were thinking more about their stomachs and what they needed to eat, and how they were going to be able to eat, and they were completely fleshly-minded. So, the setup for this passage is unbelief, and you can't see who the truth really is. Jesus was right there in front of them. He was giving them truth, and even to an extent, the disciples had little faith, remember? They believed, but their faith was small. Overall, the rejection by Israel of their Messiah has begun. Jesus, we've seen numerous times every time he went to an area where there were predominantly Jewish people, there would be rejection and opposition and they would come out to him and then he would go to the other side of the lake. He would jump back and forth across the lake or around and up to Tyre and Sidon, ending up going to many Gentile regions. Regions where there would probably be some Jews, but as a whole, it was a Gentile area. And we see that the Gentiles, on the other hand, appear to be embracing him and wanting him again, signaling the end of the Messiah's near. As we know in John's account, that down near the end, uh, uh, the the Greeks become to Jesus, wanting to talk to him, and he knows his hour is not yet arrived, but it's close. And when he's to die, then in his death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel will go out to the Gentiles. The context of our passage today is crucial for interpreting this passage correctly. Our, our passage has been wrongly uh, 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 interpreted for centuries. Uh, you, you understand that this passage is a passage used to promote the authority of the Pope. And we're going to have to deal with this as we go along. But the primary reason for this misinterpretation is a failure to understand the original context of the passage. It's never explained in light of the unbelief and not knowing the truth and who Jesus is. It's more along the lines of taking the scripture and using it to promote your own power and your own influence. The irony of the passage is that this passage has been used by false teachers to promote themselves when in fact the passage is supposed to do the exact opposite. It's about promoting Christ, that he would be Lord and Master, and everybody would say, praise to Jesus, not ourselves. So the setting of our passage, look in verse 13, Matthew sixteen thirteen. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi, I can't, I can't, it's, it's so amazing that I'm preaching on a passage that I know I will be there next Friday. Isn't that cool? <laughs> on Friday, I already looked at the calendar. I'm going to be there next Friday. <laughs> can't wait. Uh, where is this? Well, it's right up here at the top, right at the foot of Mount Hermon, right here in the foot of Mount Hermon. And as you can tell, this is the Sea of Galilee right here. And so, way down here is Jerusalem, right? So, this would be a a distant, far land again in Gentile country. An area he had gone away again. Jesus had gone away up here. And this is the place that he announces for the first time with clear words to his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Now, he has alluded to it. He's alluded to it in, tear this temple down and I will be raised back up. But never as clear as he does in this passage, the next passage, next time that we're in this passage. So Jesus is very clear. He is basically saying, look, the collision is going to occur. People have, they're rejecting me and it's building. The tension is building. And he takes his disciples up there and asks the question, who am I? And then he explains who he is. Very, very important. So today we're going to examine three answers to the question of who is Jesus. The final answer should cause all of us to trust and obey the Lord Jesus himself. The first answer is the world's answer. That's found in verses 13 and 14. The second answer is Peter's answer, verses 15 and 16. And then finally we'll see Jesus' answer in verses 17 to 19. All answering the same question. Very, very important. Who is Jesus? And I would argue that this is not supposed to be a passage that gives us our full ecclesiology. What is that word? Ecclesiology. What is... It's the study, the doctrine of the church. It's important to note that this passage is the first time the word church is mentioned. And I would argue that the disciples really did not have an idea of all that this meant. But they would later, as we will see. This is really, he's not, Jesus is not giving a full description and declaration on the church and what it's all about. The emphasis is really just on that one question. Who is Jesus? That's the main point. So if we argued over little semantical things and whether I I'm hoping I'm getting it all right, but ultimately I hope that you get if you get nothing else from this passage, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, who is the foundation of the church, who is the way for freedom from bondage to sin. That would be what I want you to get. And I think that's what the passage is really talking about. So let's walk down through these answers to this question of who is Jesus. Let's start with the world's answer. The world's answer to that question. Notice it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Notice the question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now the question from Jesus ultimately is, is I'm not asking you who you say, but I'm asking you what the world or the people that you know in your world say about who Jesus is. That's a great question, isn't it? Who do the people say that... The son of man is. The son of man is obviously a reference to himself, right? One of the titles that he took and enjoyed and loved and and held on to. It's his identification with Adam, that he is the second Adam, ultimately the firstborn, the one that would come into the world, the man, the son of man prophesied in Daniel. Notice the disciples saw their world's confusion. As they began to answer this question... It sounds like a mixture of everyone's view except the religious leaders. Notice that the religious leaders' take of Jesus is not included in the list. That is interesting to me. It doesn't say, oh, you're the guy that casts out demons by Beelzebul. It doesn't say that. Very interesting. Even though that's what a lot of them were saying, right? A lot of the religious leaders. They pick and choose from... The people as a whole. And they say John the Baptist. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? Do you remember Matthew 14? It was Herod himself that said, John the Baptist says raised from the dead. Maybe this is John the Baptist who was raised from the dead. The one that he had had killed, remember? So basically they're even quoting, it's very interesting, they're quoting from Herod. And what Herod's thought. And maybe some of the people had embraced Herod's thoughts. Remember, this was, by the way, in Caesarea Philippi. What's that sound like? Philip? That's a different Herod. They're in a different area away from the place where Herod was ruling. But he was fresh on their mind. They knew that the people, and including Herod and his thought process, thought that maybe Jesus was John the Baptist resurrected. Or they say the the forerunner, Elijah. Because we know that from Scripture that Elijah was to come first, right? And remember, Jesus had already explained to him, well, if if you can understand this, if you can believe, I am Elijah, or John the Baptist is Elijah, rather. Not that Jesus is Elijah. But there will be a final Elijah, remember? John the Baptist was prefiguring the Elijah to come. But ultimately, John the Baptist... Again, a reference here, Elijah, which would mean they were denying John was the forerunner and saying that Jesus was the forerunner, is ultimately what they're saying here. That's what they say the people thought. Or, but still, Jeremiah, another prophet, or one of the other prophets. But what is missing? A prophet. Maybe he's a prophet. But they don't call him the prophet the one who Moses had prophesied in Deuteronomy. He was just a prophet. Boy, don't these sound familiar? It's very interesting, even in our world today, that this is what the world says about Jesus even to this day. Yes, he was some special, amazing man, a religious man. Yes, Maybe even a prophet, as the Muslims say. Jesus was a prophet. Or maybe he was just a a miraculous worker. You know, as the Jehovah Witnesses would say that he was Michael the Archangel incarnated. You know, isn't this the same way? The world thinks this way. The world has a wrong understanding of who Jesus is. It's been consistent, hasn't it? The world doesn't get it. And by the way, if you come out and say that Jesus is the only way and Jesus is the biblical way, you are intolerant and you shouldn't be listened to, even though that's intolerant. From God, they would say, but not necessarily the Christ or God incarnate. He's a good man. Religious man. The same problems here, today. Jesus isn't the Jehovah Witness Jesus, though, is he? Jesus isn't the Jews' Jesus of today, either. Most of the Jews are still rejecting. Jesus isn't the Muslims' Jesus. Jesus isn't the Mormons' Jesus. Jesus isn't the watered-down evangelical Jesus, either. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and everyone should bow to Him. The world didn't get who Jesus was then, and the world doesn't get who Jesus is today. So the first answer to the question was a group of wrong answers. (laughs) The world missed it. They don't know who Jesus is. Do you? Do you know who He is? Not just in your head, by the way. Is it a heart that is submitted to him and embracing him, that loves him and wants to serve him? That's the question. Do you get the answer correct? If not, Jesus came into the world to die for your unbelief. If you will repent and believe in him, your sin of unbelief will be forgiven too. And you will be declared right, And you will say, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And I want to serve him, no matter what that means. So the first answer was a a bunch of wrong answers. The second one is Peter's answer. Look at Peter's answer in verses 15 and 16. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's very interesting here. Jesus asked them directly. He asked not just Peter. He didn't look at Peter and say, Peter, I just want your answer. He he asked them as a whole. Now, there is no other back talk. There's no other words here, and we can't just speculate. But it appears to me that as Peter speaks up, nobody says, I object. I think the disciples got it. I think Peter spoke as representing what they believed, too, as all, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He asked not just Peter, but them. And Peter spoke up. I think most of them affirmed in their heart that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. All but maybe one, right? Judas. Peter's answer was excellent, wasn't it? It was a very good answer. Coming from the guy that has foot and mouth disease, Peter sure did pull this one off, didn't he? He got it. It was perfect. It was an excellent answer. And he spoke it, it appears, with boldness. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I would love to have been at that spot seeing that, right? Rewind that on the heavenly VCR. See him. I was talking about talking to some friends uh, yes, yesterday about how God often takes those that are the most bold and prideful and thinking so much of themselves and he turns them into followers of Jesus and they become bold for Christ. That's some good news, isn't it? He took this prideful, arrogant man and says, Jesus Christ is Lord. And that boldness becomes in the hands of a God of God, boldness and courage to speak the truth. And love. Peter is that guy. Peter's that foot and mouth disease guy that I can relate with so well, right? Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah of Israel, the chosen one of Israel, the anointed one. But Peter goes further. He affirms Jesus' deity as the Son of the living God. This is profound truth. He's basically saying, you are the Son of God. Now, this is not just some light thing. It's not the Mormon's understanding of sons of God. It's not this idea that he's a lesser deity. To call him the Son of the living God is to call him God. And to be perfectly related to the living God. To call him a member of the triune God. It's affirming deity by saying this statement. God, by the way, the interesting thing about where they are, they're in Caesarea Philippi. They're in an area where idols were prevalent, but one of the idols, specifically the Greek god of Pan, had, a, had an idol or a temple there. The Greek god Pan was the god of the wild, shepherds and flocks and nature and mountains. And he had hindquarters and legs and horns of a goat but human part of him the rest. So you're at a at an area where idolatry was rampant. And so when Peter says you are the son of the living God, it's as if what? In contrast to the world that has all these dead gods that are handmade idols, God is living. He's living. It's not those wood idols. Or those stone idols that you've carved. Remember our passage last week, man, right? Isaiah forty four in our in our reading. You take the same wood that you burn your heat your fires with and you carve them and then bow down to them. And Jesus isn't a piece of wood. He's the son of the living God. That's that's glorious truth, folks. That'll give me chill bumps. Goosebumps. Jesus bumps, right? The idols of men are just the man-made gods. They They were and they are dead gods. But Peter associates Jesus with the living God. In fact, Jesus is the son of the living God. Simon Peter got it. Peter believed in Jesus. Not just because Peter could correctly ID Jesus or identify Jesus, but because he was willing to announce this identity, identity over against the world's wrong view. And this is crucial. Very important for us to understand. When Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, it comes on the heels of the question of what do people say about who I am? Why is that important? Well, because it's, it's courageous. It's bold. You know, you ask many, 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 many evangelical leaders that are in the public today. You say, well, is Jesus the only way? And they that's a softball pitch to us, right? Yes! Bam! He's the Son of the Living God! Listen to Him and obey! That's what should be said, right? Instead they say, well, Larry, I'm not sure if I could say it that way. Our friend Joel Osteen, friend, was said with sarcasm. Beloved, listen to me. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about Jesus. It's who he is. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How about you? Would you boldly... Proclaim, Jesus is the only way? Is He above all? Is He above all the so-called Jesuses out there that placate to sin, unrighteousness? No, Jesus is the Son of the living God, and we must serve Him. And boldly proclaim him. So are you willing to contradict the world's wrong thinking of Jesus? I want you to listen to me, beloved. The day is coming. The day is coming when we will have to stand on who Jesus is against what the culture and the world says about who Jesus is. They are twisting scripture. We must stand for him. So, the first answer was the world's wrong identification. The second answer was Peter's correct identification of Jesus. Next, we see Jesus' answer. Jesus' answer. I've got to admit, this is an intriguing passage. I think I could probably preach on this section right here for five weeks. Amazing stuff. Here we go. Let's dive in. And Jesus said to them, Blessed are you, Simon bar because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Wow, right? Lots of questions. So what's Jesus' answer? Jesus' answer is, yep, you got it right, Simon. You got it right. But, Simon, listen to me closely. You only got it right because God revealed it to you. Yep, Simon, you are blessed of God. You are favored by God. Why is he favored by God? What is the favor of God on Simon Peter, to be able to get this correct. Why did he get it right? Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven... Side note here. It's so interesting how false doctrines have twisted this passage to elevate Peter and his so-called success. You understand that the popes all believe that it all successes from Peter. We come down from Peter. And that from Peter we get this, uh, the papal reign, and that all of them come from Peter. But this very, and they use this very passage. But this very passage is saying, in fact, Jesus is saying, it's not because of you, Peter. It's not about you, Peter. It's about me. And the Father revealed it to you. It's amazing how popes over the years have carried on this line and applied it to, well, I have special revelation and I can say all kinds of crazy things that are completely against Scripture. When in fact, they're what? They're undermining the very point of this whole passage, which is Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And He's the one, and He's the hope, and He's the foundation, and He's the way. And He's the one that we should all submit to, surrender to, trust in, believe in, enjoy, delight in, be satisfied with, walk with, abide in. It's Christ. It's not some man. The Father had given divine grace to Peter. Unmerited favor and revealed His son's identity to Peter. This should have humbled Peter, shouldn't it? What should have happened to Peter at this moment? Peter should have fell on his face. Oh, God has shown me this truth. Didn't work that way. (laughs) Didn't work that way. Unfortunately, less than a few minutes later... He says, nope, you're not going to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You know what we see from here? This is just so intriguing to me. Grace from God actually often is perverted into a high view of ourselves. How in the world does that happen? How do you understand that God gives you grace that you're even here? And yet somehow we walk out of this building and think we're better than other people. And we can even tell God how he should do things. You're the son of the living God and the next thing, you're not going to do that. Be careful, beloved that is your heart. It's all of our hearts. All too often we praise Jesus with one voice and we doubt and we worry and we even blaspheme the one who bought us. Who's Peter here? I am. The Father had given divine grace, and it should have caused him humble, but he should have said, I answered correctly, but it was because of the Father. Wow, God, you are good. Notice in verse 22, though, that's when he says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you foots back in mouth so a, a passage used to exalt Peter like I said is what the passage is really all about is to exalt rather Jesus is used to exalt Peter by the Roman Catholics in our day and what's happened in our world it's meant to exalt Jesus and unfortunately Peter does the same thing He ends up exalting himself and putting himself up there. Isn't this interesting? It shows so much about our hearts. It shows so much about us. We take and make scripture all about ourselves and our needs and our wants and our desires. When in fact the only real hero of the Bible is who? Jesus Christ. Our God is the hero. He should get all glory, all praise, all honor in all that we do. Unfortunately, we twist the Bible. Jesus says, in effect, here to Peter, Yep, son of Jonah, or John, you got it. But you got it because of the Heavenly Father revealing it to you. Otherwise, you'd be just as clueless as the rest of the world is." what's implied by this. Now, it's interesting that he calls him son of Jonah, Bar-Jonah. That's Aramaic for son of Jonah or son of John. You notice he identifies him that way, right? Simon, Bar-Jonah. After Peter says what? This is who you are, Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. The next thing, blessed are you, Simon, Bar-Jonah. Why? Why? Because once again, we see Jesus is saying, in effect, you're just a man. You're a son of another man. (laughs) Do you see the amazing contrast that's happened here? Because what's happened? Peter says, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're the son of Jonah or John. You get who I am, and I'm more than you, in effect. You're just the son of a man. Which implies what? Peter, fall on your face. Get who you are. Get who you need. You need Jesus. You need the son of the living God. Do you see how Jesus takes the, the amazing identification of himself by Peter and he says, no, I'm going to take it one level higher. And he begins to expound on who he is. He's answering it a lot better, isn't he? By showing contrast between him and Peter, he's showing, this is you, Peter. This is me. You know about me, but you know about me only because God... My Father revealed it to you. Wow. And again, this passage, the temptation is is for us to make it all about who? Peter and ourselves. When in fact, the passage is not even about Peter. It's really not about Peter. I know you're like, what? I thought the whole passage was about Peter. Isn't he the, you know, the rock? I don't think that's what he's getting at. I think he's showing a contrast here. In light of Peter's previous identity of Jesus as the son of the living God, this stands as the great contrast. Jesus wasn't as some thought. Jesus bar Joseph. Was he? Was Jesus bar Joseph? Nope. He wasn't the son of Joseph because Jesus was bar Elohim. Wow, think about that. That's what he reveals all in this little bit. He's like showing, I am the son of God. You, on the other hand, are just a man. I'm the son of man who came into the world, but I'm also the son of God who came to what? Free you from the bondage of sin. Jesus implied for all practical purposes, Peter, yep, you got it. But you're just a man, and the Father revealed my identity to you. (laughs) So next, Jesus builds on this. Look. He says, I also say to you, I also say to you, that you are Peter, Petros, and upon this Petra, rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Notice first here, in the beginning of this little phrase, he says, I also say to you. At the beginning of this verse, I, I also say, I also say implies what? There's more. Hmm. Give you some more. I think this is pointing to the development of the revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus is answering the question himself. <laughs> who answered it the best? Let me give you a hint. It wasn't Peter. It was Jesus. Woo, that's good. I say, in addition to what you said, I say, not only am I the Christ, the Son of the living God, also I say, you are Peter, Petros. Most suggest this refers to a normal rock, a, a little stone. But Jesus then appears to contrast his own identity, just like he had done previously. When he said, "Barjona," compared to son of the living God. I think he's contrasting. And you say, well, why isn't there this dramatic, but I am the rock? I think they knew it. I think Peter knew it. I don't think he had to go into great detail. I think it was obvious. It didn't have to be some dramatic Greek grammar that shook the world. I think the point was real clear. I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm the rock. Now, we'll deal with this a little bit more as we go along. Some of y'all are like, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. This is a lot. Remember, Peter had said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus had affirmed Simon Peter's correct identification of Jesus, reminding Peter that this proper identification of Jesus came from the Father. Now Jesus says, and you are Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church. So what's the this referring to? This rock. What's this referring to? I will build my church. That's the question, right? This rock. Is it referring to what? Is it referring to Peter? Is it referring to Christ? Is it referring to the statement? Is it referring to Peter's faith? All of these have been given over the years this passage has been the center of many many theological debates over the years but i believe if we keep focus on what the context is all about we are going to know what it's about we're going to get it there does appear to be a play on words in the passage jesus uses simon's new name petros That he had given Simon at the beginning, remember? When he called him, he said, you shall be called Cephas, or Peter, right? Cephas is the Aramaic of Peter, the Greek. When Jesus said, you will be called Peter, it meant rock, stone, little pebble. Now, you're going to have to pay close attention here. This is very important. Let's walk through this. I want you to see something that's really, really cool as we go through it. Then Jesus appears to expound on Peter's identity of Jesus and his own identity and who Peter is. And he kind of contrasts. Simon, son of John, you are Peter, the rock, a rock, a rock, a little stone. Upon this rock I will build my church. So again, what is this rock? The Catholics say this rock is Peter, right? And... Thus, the rise of the papal reign. Did you know that that means, therefore, that in a sense, the Pope today is the rock too? In some strange, unbelievably weird way, he has authority also. This rock is the faith of Peter, is what some say. Point to Peter's great faith. And again, what did Jesus just say about the disciples' faith? (laughs) It <laughs> just told him little faith. So I'm not going with that one. How about you? And then if in less than a couple paragraphs and just a little bit, he's going to say what? You're never going to go there. You're not going to die. I don't think his faith is really mountainous, is it? We can go back to who for that? The Syrophoenician woman. I'm a dog. <laughs> then we want some good faith. That's the great faith. Or the centurion that says, Hey, you don't you have authority, you don't all you gotta do is speak, you know. My servant will be slay uh, will be healed. So the rock, as John MacArthur says, he takes his position. This rock is the profession of Peter, the statement. Thus Peter's truth claim about Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Now let me just give you this warning. I think the third and the fourth are very close, very similar. And they relate to the same thing. So you can argue both ways on this one. I'm not going to die on this hill, but I still think he's talking about Jesus personally. The fourth view. Which is, the rock is the Lord Jesus himself. This Jesus will build his church upon himself. Who he is in his ministry. This is where I've landed. Some of you say, no, nah, I'm not going to land there. But that's, who I, that's where I'm at. If you go with the statement, guess what? It's still the truth of the statement, which is what? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But I think he's expounding on that statement by saying he's so much better than all of mankind. So I think it's all of who he is. The church is built on Christ, the rock. And it fits the context, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. I think of the three, or of these, three and four are very similar, and get the main point is conveyed. I believe this lines up best with how Peter viewed this conversation. Look with me over at 1 Peter chapter 2, please. 1 Peter chapter 2. Very, very, very interesting passage. Who's writing 1 Peter? Who wrote 1 Peter? Yeah, <laughs> I'll give you a hint it's in the name Peter wrote it yep you got it so Peter's writing 30 years 20 to 30 years after the fact when he was there at Caesarea Philippi and heard this do you think he remembered that day oh yeah he remembered it very very well look at this Second Peter or First Peter rather Chapter 2, verse 4. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 4. It states, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Wait, 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 wait. So Jesus is this living stone. Do you see that? Who is rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also... As living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Who's the, who's the living stones? All the believers. All the believers are, in a sense, living stones. But there is the precious stone. Very interesting. Both of us are called stones. Hmm. Rocks? For this is contained in Scripture. Notice it says, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone. Oh, the stone. A precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Who would that be? Jesus. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected... This became the cornerstone, where's the cornerstone, that's the foundation, and a stone of stumbling and a petra of offense. Same word used, this, petra. Interesting. Who's the rock of offense, beloved? Simple. Jesus. And aren't we in the midst of that all the way through in Matthew? What are we seeing build up in Matthew. He's the rock of offense, the stone which the builders rejected. He's the one. I think this is the beginning of him saying to Peter, Remember, remember, remember the Old Testament passages that talk about me being rejected. I'm the rock of offense. I'm the rock, the Christ. They stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. Oof. That's a hard verse, isn't it? Really? It sounds a lot like the end of the profession. Whoa, whoa, did you hear me? What you bind on heaven will have been bound. What you loose will will have been loosed. Shows something about God's sovereignty, doesn't it? Very interesting, even the ones that rejected this was part of God's plan. I know you're like, ooh, that's not easy. What do you do with the passage? I think Peter had all of this in his mind. He got it. But I don't think he got it completely then, did he? Because the next thing he says is you ain't dying. You're not going there. Oh, man, I'm out of time. This was great. I'm right in the midst. Oh, this is great stuff. I hate this part. Let's keep going. we got to wrap it up. I'll come back to it in two weeks, okay? You're like, two weeks? Yes, I'm going to be in Caesarea Philippi next week. Praise the Lord. And everybody's coming back next week, right? Even though we're not going to be here. Mr. Bob. Pastor Bob is going to be preaching. So you're going to come and hear Pastor Bob preach. Yes? And we're going to pray for you all week, brother. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. Hey, let's stop here. I know, that was called landing a plane with a crash. That was bad. But I hope you're intrigued. You want to come back and hear the rest. Right? We're over the time. And I want to be disciplined enough to come back and do it the right way. Okay? Okay? All right, we'll 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 deal with the keys and the, this rock, and we'll deal with that more as we go along. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace towards us. Thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord, the one who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thank you, Father, for the great hope that we have in him. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to grow in grace and knowledge of you. Help us, Lord, to... To learn from you and learn from your word. I pray for the the team that's going to Israel this next two weeks. Lord, I pray that you just show us your glory. Help us to know your word more. I want to come back so full of seeing how the seeing the land and the geography and all the great things about the land we're A lot of these events in the Bible took place. I I pray, Lord, that you help us to understand your word better and then be able to bring this to the people and help them to know you better, Lord. I pray, Father, that you will work in all of us. And I pray for those that are here tonight, this morning rather, that are struggling and and they're not sure of who Christ is. Uh, Maybe they know some head knowledge, but they haven't bowed their heart to him They haven't embraced Him. I pray that today they will see that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that only through His death, burial, and resurrection is their hope for their sin being paid for. Help them, Lord, to turn to You and trust You. As the psalm says in Psalm 118, Hosanna, please save God, please save. We love You, Father. We thank You for this day. Use us bring us back tonight to hear about your mission work with Kenny and then Mark preaching with us to us from the word god bring us back to hear more about your glory we pray this in jesus name amen